All right. All right. Hi, everybody. It's Charlie Peck here with Thriving School Community. We have the guys who do shirts and ties podcast. It's so exciting. Ryan and Casey are here. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Is it weird knowing he's going to talk first? I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Sorry. because So my uh, partner and I, she and I, we wrote a book together and we've done, done podcasts and stuff together too. So usually what they have to do is tell us, okay, Charlie, you're going first, Dr. Cam, you're going second or vice versa. And it never works out. So this is casual conversation. Jump in when you feel it. Guys, well, what Casey us- is really good at editing out in our in our podcast is it takes us about 30 minutes to figure out who's talking first and then we still screw it up just between the two of us so (laughs) well if you guys listen people listening in if you haven't listened to shirts and ties it's really good it's great topics by the way and then the banter is really good which i was telling you guys before we started recording which is absolutely true so please if you're in education you need to hear that one too um, all right, guys. So, Brian, why don't you tell a little bit about your background? Like, what lens are you bringing to this conversation? Sure. Uh, I am a current uh, elementary principal up here in Great Falls, Montana, Chief Joseph Elementary. Go Eagles. Um, starting next semester, I'll be the North Middle School uh, principal. It'll be a new adventure. And then just to kind of gloss over, I've been my, my background is a high school English teacher. Um, and then I was an international teacher for a while, and then uh, I've been a principal at a secondary school, elementary school, and then obviously soon to be middle school. Nice. Wow. You've got a good range to uh, pull from. That's great. And Casey, you're an instructional facilitator. Can you tell people about that role? Yeah. So um, what I love about it is it kind of makes me a jack of all trades. So I get to support instruction. I get to help as we you know, make systemic changes. I get to occasionally support uh, students. I do some testing things. So all kinds of work that I get to do. I got my hands in a little bit of everything. Wow. And how long have you been in education total? So uh, I started in 2001 as a as a history teacher at a high school level. Uh, I spent a little time in South America doing some administrative work and teaching some English. Then I made my way out to uh, Wyoming, and I'm currently at Sage Valley Junior High where I taught for a while, and now I'm the instructional facilitator. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine you get to talk to a lot of different people in both of your roles. And I'm going to ask you, what the heck do you think is happening with mental health in our schools? What is the biggest challenge? And Brian, I'll start with you. What is the biggest challenge with mental health in your school right now or your district? Uh, I think sometimes the biggest challenge is that we're trying to bite off too much uh, too quickly. Uh, we're, we're, the data is, ke- is, is catching up to us rather quickly that there is a huge issue and that we need to spend a considerable amount of time servicing our students and our staff and their social emotional health and their mental health. Um, and so we're trying to tackle it as quickly as we are discovering how big it is. And that to me is causing some issues because we don't have the funding. Uh, we're finding some frustrations with it. And so we're, we're finding more failures than we are successes. And so that's just compounding the issue of we got to do something, we got to do something, and we're not finding a whole lot of traction. Wow. So what, what are they trying to tell you to do that's not working? Um, and so it's not maybe our district, but it's just nationwide is okay. obviously uh, we need to have more professionals in the buildings, more people, uh, counselors, uh, therapists who can come in and work one on one with our students and with our staff. But public education can't afford that. And so for our district specifically, I think we are 
um, above the norm and on how much we're pumping into this field, but it's still not enough. Our therapists and our counselors and our, and, and our support staff, they're still stressed beyond what they can handle. And now they are experiencing the, the burnout and the stressors of this, this, this burden. So um, there's just not the space and the capital and the ability to pump education full of this because it's not been a holistic national um, enterprise yet. That's a really good way to put it. A holistic national enterprise, because it really does take a shift in our entire culture in this nation for there to be long-term change. Yes, so I'm really agreed. glad. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. That's neat. Um, and Casey, like in your role, you're seeing a, maybe a similar perspective because you're in leadership as well. Of course. Um, what is the talk when you're actually working with educators one-on-one -on -one about mental health? Yeah. So I had a chance to, um, kind of lead a conversation with my whole staff as we try to take on some of these challenges in the way that we can, which is just in-house, right? Because we have limited control over what we can do externally. And I just started by saying, guys, I get it. We're stressed. We're depressed. We could all use a little rest and it got a little chuckle, right? Yeah. But in reality, it was like, no, this, this is true. We are feeling stressed and depressed. And as I've tried to kind of wrap my mind about uh, around what this is and what the challenge is, what I started to realize, and as I've engaged in conversations with the teachers, is the the reasons teachers choose to teach, those things are starting to crumble. And, and I've kind of identified three things. A lot of teachers get into teaching because it's a service. They want to serve their communities. They want to shape futures, right? But that that's come up uh, under a bit of attack because, one, education's been politicized, right? That's a national issue. Um, and then even as we start to see a teacher shortage, we've started to reduce the requirements to be a teacher, which is changing the perspective on how professional this career is. Um, and also, I, I, you know, I've mentioned this a time or two, but I think we're living in that era where the question is always, why are our schools failing? And what if you hear that question being asked so often, that's going to be demoralizing. Um, I, I think another thing is, Teaching has always been a pretty secure job. It's a, a solid middle-class job. You also have some time for your family. Uh, it, it's one you can have a long career. You feel emotionally safe. And I'm not sure if those things are true anymore. I'm not sure if wages are keeping up. Um, there's there's definitely some you know behaviors from students, some outside pressures. And then lastly, teaching has always been a profession where you have some level of, of autonomy. And I think that that may not feel true anymore, whether you talk about, you know, all the meetings, the testing, outside groups trying to influence what's being uh, taught. I think all of those things are starting to challenge why teachers choose to teach. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, that really breaks it down. And it it's great. You know, I, I think everybody has been micromanaged before, but you put it in such a way where it's a systemic micromanaging. And that puts that in perspective for me. I don't know, Brian, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think and in, in the more issues that we encounter and the more issues that are post, placed on schools to deal with, right? It's becoming more and more the responsibility of schools to deal with all these social issues. The more schools, school districts, school leaderships feel the pressure to find solutions, 
which therefore reduces autonomy in the classrooms and autonomy in professional development because we feel there's more urgency to solve this problem, solve this problem, solve this problem. But now we don't have any time to investigate our own unique uh, experiences or just kind of have uh, the ability to hang out with our kids and, and have these uh, enjoyable relational days because there's so many things we have to tackle on a day-to-day -day basis. Is it just as easy to say, and Brian, I'll direct this to you because I know you're an administrator and I know Casey, you have input to this as well. Um, so feel free to jump in after Brian. But do you have any say in the PD? Like, let's say that you truly believe in trauma-informed, for example, which by the way, those buzzwords in education, we've got to be so <laughs> cautious with that resiliency. And, but anyway, um, and trauma is my background, but I'm really sick of hearing people say trauma and trauma-informed because it's like, that itself doesn't solve the problem. That itself sure. doesn't explain the behaviors all the time, right? But sure. do you have, do you have, like, tell me about the freedom you do have. If you're really seeing the need in your school, what's the, what can you do? Um, I am fortunate to work in a district where um, our leaders are, I think, um, leading the way of, of education. They're thinking ahead. They're not reacting all the time. They are proactively considering. They're seeing what's coming down the line. And so with that sort of mindset does come an, an allowance of autonomy because we're not simply reacting to everything that's happening to us. We've thought about it. There's already a plan in place. Um, but I also think that that is the job of every administrator, building administrator, is you kind of act as this go-between. Um, yes, you have your bosses telling you what needs to happen and they're right and they're good at saying, here's the direction we need to go and here's how we need to get there. That's their job. And you, we take that and then we say, okay, how can I, how can I kind of filter some of that, protect some of my staff if I can, but then also uh, rearrange that language in such a way that my staff do feel like, you know, we're, they, they want to go in that same direction, but they want to feel like they have a say in it. They want to feel like they are part of the process. And so that's the, the tricky part of an administrator of saying, okay, here's where we're going. So how do we collectively get there and, and make everyone feel like it is our choice, but also how we get there is our choice. And that's kind of the autonomy that I think Casey's wrestling with. There's hardly any, anything that a district office is going to say, here's what we need to tackle that every, no teacher is going to be shocked by that. They're aware of that and they want to get there. They just at times want autonomy and how to get there. Um, and I think that's the part that we can begin to really exercise as much as possible is giving teachers these moments of um, decision-making that are, is very personalized, that is, allows them to be their, still their person and exercise some of their desires and their passions in the profession, but also we're heading in the same direction. Hmm. So Casey, when you're working, yeah, and no, go, please. I want to hear you. I was just going to say, if you don't mind me jumping in. So yeah. um, one of the things that Brian and I have talked about before is that autonomy often stems from the security and knowing that you've been empowered and entrusted to do the job within the space that you're working. You know exactly what the boundaries are and you're yep. now set free within those boundaries to take action. And when you talk about how do you um, allow the staff to kind of dictate what their professional development will look like, you know, we've taken on some of that. And in fact, that, that talk that I mentioned, one of the things we were doing is we first reached out to the staff and said, what are your biggest concerns? Uh, and student behavior really was one of them. And um, I think a lot of it is really just kids behaving in a way that's unexpected for secondary schools. Uh, and you know, can you give me an example of that? Because that, that's, I don't hear it that way that often. Go ahead. Yeah. And I, what I've 
the feeling I'm getting based on the, the things teachers tell me is they're seeing behaviors that they might expect from fourth or fifth graders. And they're occurring in seventh and eighth grade. Um, Which is ironic because uh, in my current role in elementary, it's almost flopped. They're seeing behaviors in fourth and fifth graders that they wouldn't expect until they're juniors or seniors. Like what? Can you give an example of that specifically? And then, uh, yeah, it can be stuff like uh, huh. a lot of the sexualizing of things, the 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 phone banter. I mean, I've got uh, some kids who already have TikTok and they have no business having any sort of that kind of stuff. So you see some younger kids exhibiting the older behaviors, and then you see some older kids exhibiting much younger behaviors. Go ahead, Casey. Keep going. Goodness. Yeah, and just to that point, like. Worst, I've used the phrase nuisance behavior because I just didn't have better language for that because it, it, you know, last year might've been a different story, but this year it's not some of the extreme behaviors, but it's constant behavior. Some of it is, is just the kind of yelling and screaming out that, that younger kids might do the running around the just kind of horseplay in a way that lack of discipline. Not, yeah. And, and so that was, you know, we're having that conversation. Well, what do you do? And, and in our mind, these are below grade level social skills that we should be addressing. But anyway, to the point of how are we empowering the staff, which I think is is one of the solutions is in these difficult times, we often sort of turn away from people and we isolate ourselves more. But I think one solution is we just have to open our arms. We have to open our arms to each other and welcome each other in to be problem solvers. We have to welcome in the community, even though sometimes that feels like, you know, we have some community members who are upset with us, but we have to bring them in. They got to be in part of this conversation. And as a staff, what we've done is we've asked the question, like, what are the things you're concerned about? Um, and then we've invited them to the table to start to talk about how do we address these concerns? And one of the things that we did to try to get teachers thinking about why there might be some of these below grade level behaviors that we're seeing is the trauma of the last several years. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so we taught them a little bit about how the brain develops and, and why kids might be acting in the way that they are. Yeah. Are you teaching students how their brains are acting too, or why the brains are doing what they're doing, teaching them? I love the question. I wish I could say yes. Um, I don't think so. Um, But, you know, that metacognition is something that we've added to our list. How do we help students think about their thinking? And so as we started to compile this list of, because I think the realization was, we're not going to get the behaviors we want unless we teach the behaviors we want. And some of those are academic behaviors, some are social behaviors, including metacognition. And I think that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, that's when I saw a, a huge change in my students. So I taught high school for 18 years and I started teaching them about the brain. My curriculum allowed me to do that. But once I did that, they started seeing themselves a lot differently and they were able to forgive themselves. They were able to speak the language with me. There's a lot of positives on that. And um, Brian, I'm wondering that for you too, one of the things we're hearing from teachers about their frustration with student behavior is that they are concerned, but 93% of them report that they are not equipped to respond properly. So what are you seeing and hearing? And what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's a fair, um, a fair assessment. Um, and largely it's because there has been a seemingly quick shift of behavior. Um, and education in general, as we know, is hard at times to catch up to, to trends and behaviors and things that's going on. Um, and so um, Casey and I were actually going to be, I think next week, kind of chatting about this as well, which is when we don't know what to do or, or when teachers aren't familiar with what to, how to handle these difficult situations, we can resort to punishments and we want consequences because we feel like that is something that can, that can change this behavior because they need it changed now. 
Um, and you can look historically and through data and all sorts of situations, um, that sort of punishment behavior rarely changes students or rarely changes any behavior. Um, but it, most often, uh, even if it changes, there's not like a good relationship between the two. Like it's not a healthy change. Um, and so um, trying to, to part of the struggle that we've been wrestling with even in this, in this conversation is we are tasked with changing behaviors, changing mindsets, uh, teaching kids about social emotional health, but also your test scores better continually increase. Um, and that is one of the, the components that I think holistically, when we talk holistic change, um, that has to be addressed, which is we all want our students to grow in learning. We all want them to be competent in their content knowledge and to score well on these standardized tests and to go to college. Of course, we want those things. Um, but until we begin to lax that a little bit and say, but we're also going to give you time and autonomy to wrestle with these things that we can't necessarily assess on a standardized test and that we sure as anything won't see the ramifications until years down the line, until we put emphasis and, and, and importance on that, we will be wrestling with this forever. Because let's be honest, Casey and I banter about this in previous episodes. Uh, we are not the first generation of teachers to say, what's going on with kids these days, right? Like that has been <laughs> yeah. uh, an echoing question for generations of teachers. Yeah. Um, so Brian, how much pressure do you actually have as an administrator to increase those test scores? Immense pressure, um, even if it's not directly from my bosses, uh, each school and each teacher wants to be successful. And so anytime test scores are public, um, we care immensely about doing well because it speaks to our profession. Um, and that's sadly one of the only ways we are nationally assessed is by test scores. Um, but even just the other day, and I'm you know speaking to the choir with both of you, but any educator who's listening, um, we had a kid who came in and they had a horrible weekend. Um, he was, you know, shifting houses and, and from parent to parent and um, got kicked off the couch because the dog wanted to sleep there and didn't have any proper meals and came in tired, came in exhausted, but we're testing, right? And so he's not going to do fantastic, but that test isn't going to say any of those things. And so um, we know this as educators, but we are always having the pressure of, when someone looks at my test scores and they are published, they're not gonna consider all of those surrounding narratives. They're just gonna see, is this teacher teaching the content appropriately? And is, are, the, are the students gathering the information? Not until we have a societal shift to understand that we need to look for that too, huh? Yeah. Um, Casey, I know you probably wanna comment, go ahead. Yeah, and as I'm trying to coach up the teachers as we, you know, to move through this process, um, I think, we have to, even though it's, you know, secondary, especially we're teaching content, not kids, which I mean, it's just the way it is. And we got to get those scores up. But I, I think we have to soften our heart a bit and we have to allow for, you know, understanding the challenges that these kids are going through and understand that to save time later, we might have to, to thin out the content a little bit or skip the content a little bit because we need to get to the heart of the issues that these kids are struggling with. And it's tough. My, it's a what, tough conversation to have. One of my bosses, she's recently said on in a multiple scenarios, but the same sentence of we need to move slow to go fast. Uh, and I've really appreciated that, that perspective in case you're hitting on it now. Like there are plenty of moments in education that we really need to slow down so that we can move fast later on. Yeah. Let me just throw this quote in that I love. Education is a profession where you need to know how to waste time in order to save it. 
Who who's who's that guy again? Who says that often? At this point, I've said it enough. I think it's me. <laughs> I think it's yours too. <laughs> well, we need right. to put that somewhere. Put that up somewhere. <laughs> put it up. Uh, Brian, did you actually say that? Is that why you said that? No, Casey's has been. I think he's echoed that four or five different times in a, in a in a podcast. I just love that he started off by saying, "Some guy I know." This well, I know. Be super vague. Are we citing sources today? Because I I don't have a source to cite. I don't know. Yeah, what page was that on? <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad we can joke during this kind of time because we have to. Otherwise, I always say with my mother, she's got. Um, late stages, Alzheimer's. And I have to joke and always say, I always tell her all the things I did as a teenager because she sure. won't know. <laughs> sure, sure. There's some comfort, but you can have some comfort in your heart that I, I told my mom, I was honest with her. That's right. I did. I came clean and she probably already knew, by the way, she probably already knew. <laughs> sure. Okay. sure. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, and, and so now Casey, here's what I keep thinking. Um, and of course, Brian, like we are trying to slow down um, so that we can process and, and incorporate some other things that we actually do have a ton of data showing that kids will perform better on those darn tests if they're functioning well and feeling well. They'll do good if they feel good, right? So Casey, tell me what the challenges are though when you've got these teachers you're working with, how are you all designing that to infuse it right into their daily practice? If they've been doing the same things over and over for years, how do you sneak that in there? Yeah, and... Uh... The question comes at a great time because we really, as a staff, are trying to figure that out. And um, where we currently stand is really identifying what we believe as a building. So we're doing this, you know, right now we're doing this on our own. But as a building, we're identifying what are those behaviors that are are most concerning, talking a little bit about what might be the reason for those behaviors. And most importantly, the conversation is when and where and how are we going to go about making sure that that instruction occurs. And, and here's the thing that's great. They're all in. The whole staff, I mean, there's going to be exceptions and there's, we're going to have to, you know, talk a few people into it. But it really does feel like the whole staff is ready to take this on together because individually we can't do it. And and so there's some talk about, you know, hey, as a social studies teacher, I can I can take this piece or as a PE teacher, I can take this piece. And so that's the direction that we're headed. And I don't think it's anything that's going to get off the ground this year. Um, but we're going to be fully prepared to make sure that it is ready to roll and then we start to attack this thing as a building and then we start to see these kids kind of grow and get healthy again and get to a good place. Yeah, you've got to think long term. I love it. And you're right. And Brian, you mentioned about some people aren't reactive there. And that's the whole key, right? We have to be preventative if we're going to make long term shifts. So what are your yeah. thoughts, Brian? I know you're thinking about something here. Yeah, uh, I think that first and foremost, I think if Casey has uh, any gift, I can think of one or two, but one of them is uh, his ability to to convince teachers to be passionate. And to, this is a collective efficacy sort of moment where if we want to succeed, we're all going to be on it together. And so I just, I love hearing that about Casey because that's even convicting from my own heart and, and leadership part of how can I build that as a culture? How can I build it into my current school and then my school next year? Um, but one of the things that I also have just been wrestling with for, for years and years, but then it comes to education in this very question. Again, we're not the first ones to, to ask this or wrestle with it. Um, and one of the convictions that I'm trying to manifest in the people that I come in contact with, which is um, the confidence to know that if we are doing what's best for kids, and if we are providing a safe place for them, 
and our test scores right now are not great, that we have a confidence that that's okay, that we ourselves have to build into our, our own psyche and our own staff of we work hard, we, we care for kids holistically, um, we are building foundations with them um, that we believe and know that years from now um, will manifest themselves in positive ways. So if, if we have kids who can't read in elementary um, and the curriculum says they need to be reading at this certain level and we just say, you know what? We're not going to concern ourselves with that. We're going to concern ourselves with this child and we're going to love this child and provide the, the foundations that this child needs right now, believing that if they feel safe at this young age, you know, that third and fourth grade age is critical for reading, but also passion for learning. And if we can build that into them, they might have low test scores for the next two or three years. But when they're seventh to eighth graders or when they graduate or when they go off and they become successful people who can ma uh, manage through through manuals, who can who can live a successful life, have a, have a successful career, have a, have a, a positive relationship with a marriage or, or a spouse or whatever it might be. Um, and we think like, yeah, they've made it. We don't remind ourselves that often of those successes. And that's ultimately what we're here for. It just takes so much convincing that we care about that more when test scores are just so prevalent in front of your face. Mm -hmm. But I think every educator would say, Casey, you would say, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. You're going to, I'm going to guarantee that next year or the end of this year or next year, as you were talking about, you know, you guys are going to be collective efficacy, all that kind of stuff. Guarantee that every single kid raises their test scores 100% proficient across the entire school district. Um, but none of those kids or a good percentage of those kids are not going to be quality people 10, 15 years from now. You would not, you would not trade that. You would not define your year as successful. But if we can say some kids are going to grow, some kids won't, uh, but you're going to really attach yourself and change the lives and hearts of several kids. You're going to give them a safe place for two years in, in your building or three years in your building to the point that they're going to make better decisions 10 years from now. You would choose that every time. We just need to find ways to convince ourselves of that and remind ourselves of that because the world of education is not going to do that for us. Yeah, there's plenty of data to support it too. Again, um, you mean you look at Finland, they don't have statewide testing, they're national testing. They're not doing that. They're doing problem-based learning. They had a major shift in their system and yeah. their numbers are fantastic. Their yeah. their mental health has increased, right? They're they're seen as professionals. Those those educators are professionals, and they're paid better. And because people, they're not focusing on the numbers, they're focusing exactly. on bigger, better things. So why then? And both of you all can jump in on this. And Brian, we'll start with you. Why then can't the United States? And this is a big question. Adapt <laughs> that. We know it can't work. And Finland's not the only system that has shown success. Um, and I know they're a smaller country, but come on, there, there's more there. There's a lot of SEL data. Uh, don't get me started. So and what we've been doing for the last 30 years, by the way, to mitigate the youth mental health crisis, it's not working. We're still in a crisis. We're still having problems. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't they adopt that? Just in your opinion here. Well, I don't think you could ask me a question that I feel more inadequate to answer than this one. So I appreciate you just making me feel terrible. Casey can answer this and he's going to kill it. I know he will. Uh, but um, uh, I listened to a podcast this morning. I'm going to give a, a little shove towards this podcast called Plain English. And um, he recently published one this morning that the, the, the title is Why the Cult of Achievement in Schools is Making People Miserable. And I didn't love this episode because it does seem a little bit harsh and critical towards public education. 
But one of the points that he makes that I do appreciate is the culture of America is so when we define success, success is numbers. It is money in the bank account. It is followers on Instagram. We, we define success by numbers. And so that's only going to translate into education. Uh, you're going to define yourself by your GPA score. You're going to define yourself by how many kids you graduate. You're going to like, we are so number data driven, which data is not bad, but when we put the number as the success criteria, then, then nothing else is, is going to matter as much. And there's a ton of things that matter immensely to the success and to the, to the beauty of life that you can never put into a data form or met in, in numerical form. Casey, blow me out of the water. Give us the right answer. <laughs> no pressure. I think the best analogy I can give is, so we've had this conversation about shifting towards standards-based grading, right? But the great challenge in doing that is, but what, is it, what does it mean when that information now is shared out to parents? As a parent, I don't know what this means, but I know what an A is and I know what a B is. Right. And so when we talk about test scores and things like that, like it's tangible, right? It's something that we can understand. But when we talk about things like, well, we want to make sure that we're supporting kids, that we're getting them, you know, to be strong and healthy and independent. Like, I don't know if we can, in a way that others can understand, measure that success over the course of a year and then share that out with the community, with the family and, and put that in the newspaper like they do with our test scores and say, this is the amount of success we had with these kids. Is it so, easier? Is that a component of it? Oh, yeah. Writing down a number, much easier. Right. right. We even see we, that in the our grading practices. Yeah, right. Right. It's easier to focus on numbers because it's like you say, it's tangible. Uh, it's very intangible to sit in a or difficult to sit in a parent-teacher conference discussing a child who's struggling and you don't have anything concrete to grasp at. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. You guys remember that that movie, Summer School? Do you remember that old movie? It's, it's just, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. So, <laughs> so no, there's an old movie, um, Summer School, where the kids, they have to go to summer school. Anyway, at the end of the movie, they... They, he has to, it's Mark Harmon. And anyway, he's a teacher and he's like, he has to teach remedial English and he has to get these kids to pass the class um, in order to get tenured or, or something like that. Oh, okay. yeah. Right. And so at the end, not all the kids passed. So they were, they were like, well, you're not going to get it. However, they were showing that it was the what it was how much they actually did improve it's not that they pass it's that improvement and that yeah. was measurable right and i actually i know people who in in the world of sel or in the world whatever you want to call it right is is the intangibles now can be measured because we're finding ways to do that because we're sh we're showing how valuable it is so we are actually devising those tools so that yeah. we can measure it so that it will be listened to because we have to listen yeah. to some data data is important yeah. in some aspects right of course. So go, go ahead, Casey. What are your thoughts? One of the questions I always have when we get to this point is I always just wonder how supportive the community would be as we try to measure these things that might be tied a little bit to our values and our morals. Um, and I think that, that is one of the challenges too, is we feel like it might be pushing up against something that uh, that that we're wondering if it, it, may, it might go against our beliefs or, or something like that. Yeah, I think that's a fair component. And you and I've wrestled with that before. And I think it's fair, or again, it, maybe it's easier because when, when we're dealing with 
science and English and math most of the time. Uh, it's impersonal. But when we start dealing with character and morals, uh, then it becomes very personal and, and we shift. It can, there's, a, there's a much greater shift in terms of how we interpret morality and that kind of stuff. And so it's, again, it's, it's mucky and it's, and it's hard. And, and I do want to say that like in our building, we do try to measure some of these things. We have something called Sabres, for example, and it's an opportunity for, for students or for staff to try to, 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 you know, kind of record with little tally marks where kids might be um, on certain, you know, social, emotional skills and behaviors. Um, but even that, there's a little interpretation to it yep. um, when students do it, they're reflecting on where they're at, but it is kind of nice because if you get enough of that data over the course of the time, you could see growth. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm game for seeing better tools than that, but that's a, that's one of the things we've tried. Sure. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing you say that it's, it's important, um, but we still there, it's very test driven right now. And there's a lot of pressure, not only on you all, um, but on the educators and the kids in, I'm not sure what, where do parents play a role here? Do they, are they the ones putting pressure on you or are they feeling pressure too? Yes. Okay. Right. Like, uh, of course they are. And, and I think parents, they want the best for their child. And, and right now the currency of them going to a good college is grades and GPAs. And so until that currency shifts, um, they just want what's best for their child. And so as long as we can guarantee that and whatever track is going to get them there, that they, they will fall in line and they will get excited and they'll be supportive. But right now this is our currency. It's a great way to put it. It's true. Go ahead, Brian. Or sorry, Casey, go ahead. Well, and I, unfortunately, I think um, sometimes we're failing to recognize that we're on the same team. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about is the disconnect. You know, a, a parent sends their kid you know, young kids, their babies, sometimes, you know, they send them off to school and for seven hours, they just don't know what's happening with that kid. And then the only contact that's made is over, you know, behavior problems, problems with grades. And so that's the relationship they have. Plus parents are bearing the burden of whatever bad experiences they had in school. And I, I wish we could find a way to recognize that we're all on the same team. So when I say we've got to open up our arms, I know it feels unsafe right now, but we have to bring in more people to this conversation. We have to let people see what's happening in our schools, the great things that's happening in our schools. And we have to get teams of, of people in the community to build a consensus for how we're going to make this the centerpiece of the community. Nice. Yeah, you guys, I mean, there are, rock stars position in our schools already. They have huge hearts. They, they are so willing to just absorb those tools that they can use and infuse right into their daily practice. We can't add more to them, their workload, of course. Um, but yeah. Okay. So I know I want to honor your time. We are going to wrap this up. What I want to know, what is it that you're learning from doing your own podcast? What are you, what are you learning the most out of those conversations? So I'm going to keep my tradition going. And when it's final takeaways, I freeze <laughs> and then Brian goes. So Brian, why don't you go first? Brian, let's uh, start with you. <laughs> uh, man, now I feel I'm in Casey's shoes. Uh, no, I think that's a great question. Um, what I've enjoyed immensely, and Casey, if you can mute your thing for a little bit, I don't want to ever say nice things about you, but um as educators, I think oftentimes we can um, we can exist kind of in our own head. And 
um, and we can have ideas and we can have truths and we believe they're good and right and true. And, and it just seems like at times, like no one understands us. Right. And so when I'm with Casey, he's a, he's a trusted friend. Um, I think we have some similarities, enough similarities that we can trust each other and we can come from, like, I trust his integrity. I trust that he wants what's best for kids. I trust that he's going to choose others before himself. And so when I come before on a Wednesday morning and we have these conversations, um, he's also incredibly smart uh, and oftentimes more smarter than I am. And so he can challenge my thoughts. And so I'm learning that my thoughts always need refinement or I'm relearning that all the time. Um, But I'm also just learning that like my little world and my building, which I exist 900 hours a week in, um, there's a, there's a much bigger perspective than that. And we get so siloed in our thinking because this is my building and my teachers. And so we'd be think that we begin to think that like education should be this way or education should react this way when in reality, this is just my building and my culture. And so being around Casey is challenging me pretty consistently to, to see the broader perspective, to see from a different perspective, uh, viewpoint um, and acknowledge every now and then, which I don't think is all that often, but every now and then I might be wrong. You know, for me, it's teaching Brian new things. <laughs> that, that was, he teed you right up, didn't he? <laughs> no, honestly, one of my favorite things about education has always been the opportunity to think out loud with other people, yeah. to mess up with other people, and know that no harm comes from that, and that I can just be better for that. And uh, if, if there's somebody I get to make mistakes in front of, as I think out loud, I'd, I love that it's Brian. Um, and so this thinking out loud, saying, you know, I might have this thing in my head. I'm like, this is amazing. And then I say it out loud. I'm like, I, actually, maybe that's not great. And so it allows me to go back to the work that I'm doing. It allows me to to think about like, what is the messaging I want to send to my staff? Like th- they need to hear certain things. This podcast gives me a chance to say some of these things out loud, give it a test, uh, get some feedback on these, and then go back out into, you know, this little space that I'm working in and, and say it again, yeah. maybe in a way that's better than the, the the first time I said it out loud. But thinking out loud with him is a, is a great time. Yeah. And Charlie, if you can just let me circle back again. Uh, Casey and I, when we discussed this, uh, we both are very competitive people and we want to do things well. Uh, and so we had a, a lot of conversations about like, what is, what's the goal of this thing? And we decided rather quickly that if the goal is to become rich and famous, uh, this is not going to, not going to work. Um, but both of us wanted just kind of what Casey mentioned, which is a very intentional time um, that every Wednesday morning, no matter where we are, we've done, you know, various hotels and, and you're on a snow day, we're going to get together and we're going to wrestle with these ideas um, and so it forces us to, to have conversations about topics that maybe I thought of on the drive home yesterday, and then it's kind of, kind of a fleeting thought, but if I put it on the board of discussion, I have to consider it, I have to come prepared, I have to think about it, and I have to hear some pushback. So um, and we just kind of said, hey, we're just going to do this, and if people want to join us, awesome. If they don't, uh, we are becoming better, better educators, better fathers, better people because of it. Great. Did you want to add anything to that, Casey? I mean, I don't want to compliment him, but that's well said, Brian. Yeah. And you, you know, you really can tell like people listening to this need to go listen to that. And so please tell them where they can find your podcast. Uh, Shirts and ties. Uh, 
this is called shirts and ties shirts spelled s c h u r t z uh, and ties ties spelled t i e s um and you can find us on on twitter um but it's on apple podcast on spotify um yeah we're we'd love for you to join us and if they want to reach out to you guys how do they do that shirts and ties shirts spelled s-c-h-u-r-t-z at gmail.com and casey i see your lips moving as i'm talking am i doing okay uh, you spelled it right uh so congratulations <laughs> um by the way shirts is casey's last name that's yes. i'm assuming that's for this yeah he reminds is. me of that often as he says uh it's easy to replace a guy who wears a bunch of ties uh it's not so easy to replace the shirts so yeah i always threaten them i'm like i don't i got a bunch of guys lined up with ties can't replace that's shirts <laughs> well, I'm glad Brian wore a tie today. This is very important. This is a big step for you, Brian. Uh, yes, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, thank you guys for being a part of this because, you know, it's it's no little thing to just, you know, improve the school mental health system. That's our mission. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. But we're all we all need to do it together. We all have a big role to play. So thanks for being a part of that with me, seriously, today. Yeah, thank Can you. I just say, I'm going to speak for Casey because he's not very eloquent, but I just want to say truly, truly thank you for having us. Uh, uh, if nothing else, I think it, it boosted our confidence a little bit. If somebody reached out and said, hey, we would like to, to, to host you. But even this, right, like you're asking questions that we wouldn't have asked and you have a, a perspective that we don't maybe have uh, would have carried. And so I think we are so fortunate to be with you today. So thank you so much. Oh. Yeah, and I appreciate because I think what this does is just just it tightens things up a little bit. It brings educators closer together, yeah. uh, closes some of those gaps of misunderstanding. And I think that's really important. That's what we need. We need educators, you know, tightening up and closing those gaps. Yeah. That communication, it, it's going to go a long way. So any, any way we can do it. Right. All right. Well, thanks guys. I appreciate it so much. Thank you thanks so, so much. much.